Gaz Jones, how you doing? You alright? And uh, today's guest is a perfect example of uh, 1997. As uh, joining me this week is Richard Gumbolt from Stamper's finest exponents of sugar metal. That'll be Midget. Now, <laughs> I bloody love Midget, and for a while I generally thought they were going to follow uh, Symposium A and Three Colors Red into the big leagues. Uh, I mean, their first six singles were all absolute classics in my eyes. Uh, all power pop, harmony, drenched nuggets, pure sunshine. And Carly and Jason, camouflage, welcome home, jelly bean, optimism, all fall down. The list goes on. Ah, uh, found it there on Spotify. Eh? Um, Richard now plies his trade in uh, Janus Stark. And if you're really lucky, Mitchie Stong's still get an occasional airing in that band. So uh, kick back. Kick off your shoes, motherfuckers. Grab your copy of Kerrang and let the sun shine in. Enjoy my chat with Richard and I'll be back as ever on the other side. Five side one, track one. You're listening to the Track One Side One podcast with me, your host, Gaz Jones. The greatest. Each week, a guest picks their five favorite album opening tracks, and we dissect, discuss, and debate each one. So let's put on our classics and have a little chat then, shall we? And we are live, people, joining me uh, as my guest on the podcast this week, staring at me through my uh, little laptop screen over there. We have... One of my absolute musical idols, Richard Gumbolt from Midget. How are you, my friends? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. This is uh, is yeah, this is gonna be a right treat for me. I um, mean, before we get started on your list, mate, uh, I was wondering how hard was it getting it down to uh, those final five? Virtually impossible. I, I must have <laughs> rewritten my list about fifty times. Nice, nice. It's not just it's not even your favourite songs, is it? It's the opening no. tracks. Exactly. The that's the point. Yeah. That's the really point. hard. Mm. Really hard. Yeah. So I had a few kind of uh, few kind of moments with Metallica, Master of Puppets, you know, battery is just awesome. But mm-hmm. well, now everyone chooses that, won't they? So I have tried to go for things that kind of represent me uh a, a little better, maybe. Mm. Nice, nice. All right, let's uh, let's get started on the list, mate. Uh, track number one, what's it to be? Okay, that's going to be Debaser by The Pixies, which is off their oh. album Do Little. Wonderful, wonderful. The floor is yours, mate. <laughs> oh well, anyone that knows knows me will um, will say that I've got you know absolutely massive Pixies obsession. Just they were they were that band when I first heard them. It would have been probably ninety two, maybe. So they'd, okay. they'd released a few albums before that, but they were the first band that I'd heard that just made me think, oh, my God. You know, I, I had no idea that that existed. You know, and, you know, like that scene in um, uh, Wizard of Oz when yeah. everything goes kind of weird and technical. <laughs> it yeah. was that. That was my Wizard of Oz moment. 
the Pixies, even now, like still one of my favourite bands. They're still releasing records. They're still awesome, and they've they've just got away with a melody. You know, if it's just a simple thing like you know, just pitching the melody against the bass line, you know, rather than having you know, loads of guitars in there, it's that kind of simplistic. Less is more, but then sometimes more is less. They were just just a phenomenal band. Have you ever seen them? I haven't. No, I'm. For my sins, I haven't. I've seen I've seen Frank Black. I saw Frank Black many years ago in Cambridge. Um, yeah. But I, I, I know the Pixies are supporting Pearl Jam this summer, and I, I'm serious. I'm seriously tempted to go, but the problem is it's at Hyde Park, and I've I'm reliably informed Hyde Park is an awful place to go and watch a gig. I believe you would have been too probably too young to have seen them back in the day. But have you seen them? You know, since they've reformed. No, I haven't. I, I just I can't make my mind up whether i should or not because it, it feels like you know the pixies as as they are yeah i mean what, what must they be in, in the 50s probably more than it that feels, now yeah late late 50s yeah. i would have thought yeah 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 i i kind of feel like i'd be wrecking a memory to to see them now having not mm. seen them before yeah. it's kind of like a sort of reverse nostalgia <laughs> yeah yeah no, no totally teenage memories in, in regards to the Pixies, they were kind of like the first band that started this reunion kind of craze that we're still going through now. Because, I mean, they reformed in, was it about 2005? Yeah. And yeah. sort of since then, like, you know, every man and his dog has reformed from, like, you know, refused to out the drive into the police yeah. to, I don't know, Van Halen. You know, the list is, yeah. you know, endless. Um, when bands do reform, do, do you have, I mean, I, I personally don't have a massive issue with these bands reforming because it gives you a chance to kind of go and see these bands you obviously never got to see back in the day, for example. And obviously all bands don't sell albums anymore. So the only way to kind of make some some proper coin is to go out on the road again. Um, yeah. What I do have like an issue with is when these bands start wanting to scratch that artistic itch again and like release yeah. i mean release albums what have you thought of, of like the pixies albums they've released you know since they um since they reformed i've really liked them i think there's there's a couple isn't there there's there was uh was indie cindy yeah um, beyond the eerie I'm, I'm not very good with with titles I mean, titles it, and technology uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think Head Carrier was the last one. That was I really liked Head, Head Carrier. Carrier. Yeah, yeah. No, one four or five years. I oh, was there. Oh, blimey. Okay. Yeah, yeah that was the last one yeah. I heard, and I was like, I, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is really good. This is kind of this could kind of fit in with those like four perfect albums that they did in that initial part of their uh, of their yeah. career. I mean, I mean, is this is this your favourite Pixies album? Yes, I'd say it is, but only because it's the first one I heard. In terms of its overall quality, I'd probably prefer maybe Trump Le Mans, yeah. uh, Nova, e- even some of the later stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Doolittle was the first. It was just, you know, Same. one side of a C90 and that Bossy Nova yeah. on the other. And it's wonderful. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the saying this is my favorite Pixies album. It probably is. is it, because it was the first one I heard. I mean, my um, w- one of my early bands, we used to do, um, we used to do a god awful cover of Monkey Gone to Heaven. <laughs> oh yeah i think we did actually i think oh really very very early bra- early band practices yeah if yeah, yeah. i mean the, the way the bass starts with that um with like the bass and then when that massive chiming kind of riff just comes in it's it's so it's so perfect and it's still like like an indie you could go to any indie club now and you'd still hear it i guarantee you know you yeah. still hear it now and also you know, the, 
lyrically it was just so mm. unusual yeah. you've not really heard lyrics like that um you know certainly um my record collection I, before pixies i was listening to things like emf yeah um, <laughs> the wonder stuff you know nothing nothing wrong with those bands no not at all um but pixies just had this it was just insane slicing up eyeballs i want you to know well yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, I'd never heard like vocals like that. It almost yeah, yes, like totally like, verging on kind of caterwauling, you know, just just all over yeah, the place, yeah. just primal scream kind of stuff. And yeah. yeah. Um and I mean seeing him seeing him live when I did, I'm trying to remember what it was now, about ninety six, ninety seven. He he did a couple of um he did a couple of Pixie songs. Um he did Valoria, which was incredible i didn't think he'd play any Absolutely. kind of pixie stuff um but yeah he, he did valoria in, in the encore uh, i think just to appease the crowds yeah um, but oh, yeah it was it. yeah you know um yeah P- P- pixies just yeah incre- incredible song incredible album um because yeah. it's because kim deal's not in the band because i know she initially joined again when they did the reunion tour I don't, is it um i can't yeah. remember who's playing bass from now is it is it the girl who, who was in zwan with billy corgan i can't remember her name yeah that rings a bell she's pairs or pals or something like yeah 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 she sounds very similar as well exactly exactly um that, that would yeah like, like if, you know, if we, if we did go and see them, um, like playing this summer, uh, like when they start doing like, where is my mind? You know, yeah. I, I, I would, I don't know. I kind of have an issue with anyone else, but Kim deal, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. You know, it just, it's, it's, you know, don't, don't get it wrong. But please don't get the pixies wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that, that would be my issue with going to see them at the moment. Mm. It just feels like they, they can't be as, as perfect as no. they are in my mind. Um, I mean, what are the characteristics that you think make a great opening track? You know, what floats your boat? What, you know, what turns you on? What do you go for? Well, you know, since, since you asked me these, these questions, it's made me think about the opening tracks on albums. It's quite rare that the opening track is the best track mm. on the album. Yeah. I mean, the, I'm a huge AFI fan and mm. their you know, opening tracks on their albums, you know, they're not, incredible in in you know in being tracks in and of themselves but they set the rest of the album up it's more kind of it's a it's a mood piece almost isn't it Mm, mm, mm. so i I mean i I don't know i mean take something like nevermind and you know the mm, the whack teen spirit at the start there mm, um in midget we always tried to put you know a really strong single first we just felt mm, that was a kind of it's a good template for an album i think um yeah enter sandman on the black album as well yeah, perfect. Opening it's statement of intent, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it doesn't have to be your best song, but it's got to kind of, it's got to set the tone for the album. Track two, Richard. What's it to be? Track two. What have we got? Oh, right. Okay. I've forgotten I've chosen this one. Right. <laughs> um, so I've gone for, it's a B-Sides album nice, by okay. Wild Hearts. So it's an album nice. called Fishing for Lockies. Oh, my goodness me, yes. You know it. <laughs> Oh my God! You do it. Yes, I do. I'm a Wild Hearts obsessive, absolute obsessive. So the the opening track of that album is called Inglorious, and uh, that was something that I heard for the first time, probably around '94. And Mm. a friend of mine, uh, Richard Mackman, he he was a huge Wild Hearts fan, and I must admit they kind of 
passed me by a little bit because I, I, I was a bit of an indie kid and I'd always seen the Wild Hearts as being kind of more the preserve of the, the metalers, mm. um, which wasn't quite my bag at the time. Uh, but then he, he, he was playing this song one night. I said, oh, my God, what is this? And he's like, oh, this is the Wild Hearts. Like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea this is what the Wild Hearts were about. And like, yeah, it was heavy. You know, it was very kind of, you know, sort of riff-based, but it just went in all these different directions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's like eight minutes long, isn't it, in Glorious? Yeah, yeah, about that, yeah, yeah. It's still yeah. not long enough as far as I'm concerned. It could go on, no. it could go on at least double that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And as soon as, as soon as that, you know, the big riff comes in, that that one, it's just like Mozart or something. It's just mm. insane. And from that point on, you know, I really got into the Wild Hearts and, and the way that it was metal, but it was this kind of, it was very day-glow metal. And that, that really appealed mm. to me. It was, it was, it was pop, but it was rock. It was metal, but it, it was, you know, indie. There was just all sorts going on in there. And what a songwriter Ginger is. Just ridiculous. Oh my goodness, it seems that over the past, I don't know, five years or so, uh, maybe a bit longer than that, um, especially probably when he started doing like the, the like the pledge music stuff when he did that like triple album on pledge music about 10 years ago it seems right. that people have finally come come around to kind of seeing the genius that that we've yeah. all been that we've all known since god you know 30 years ago when i first heard um i don't know i think I was, the first thing i i heard by them was them doing caffeine bomb on top of the pops and i was like what oh, yeah. the fuck is this this yeah. this is amazing you know and then you know, get my paper and money and going down to buy the single from Woolworths and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he can, he can write anything. He can write country songs, you know, folk songs, pop songs, metal songs. Like he can do the yeah. whole kind of like industrial kind of napalm death kind of stuff. And the um, fishing for luckies is my favorite wild hearts album. Cause I think it kind of encapsulates everything that is great about that band and inglorious. It's just, it's that perfect melding of like me- like Metallica riffs with ABBA me- me- like melodies on top, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. and, it, it, and it's just you know, riff after. I mean, I think they had like another B sides album called Riff After Riff After Motherfucking Riff. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> and it's just so apt for them. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> sometimes I always think, oh man, you know, the Wild Hearts could have been like so big they were one of those classic bands that snatched defeat from the jaws of victory time and time again i know there was a lot of issues in the band you know ginger's a very kind of complicated individual um you know i've had the pleasure of meeting them a couple of times and uh yeah if he's in you know if he's in a you know kind of a bad place it's not going to be the greatest wild chart show in the world but if he's in a good place there's no band that comes close to the wild hearts when they're firing on, on all cylinders live i mean did oh, you did you did you ever did you ever play with the wild hearts um i, mean, I know like it's a midget you know they taught you know you, you were proper road dogs and you played with every every band going i mean did you ever you know sh- share a bill with uh with the wild hearts not in midget no but um i'm playing guitar on jane stark at the moment yes. we talked oh, of course yeah. yeah of course a couple of years ago so i mean that, mm. that was that was a really sweet moment it's really nice mm. to play with them kind of yeah. you know see them at, at close quarters and just see see how they do it i mean because they are yeah. just another level they are so so good and it's nice you know they they kind of reciprocated really they they seem to be 
pretty into what we were doing in Jonas Stark as well. So it's, it's a really good bill, really good bill. And when um, when Giz started playing me some of the new stuff he'd written, you know, Crucify the Leaders, yeah, um, that, that kind of thing, I thought, wow, that that's really kind of wild heart centric. That that's right up my alley. And um, yeah, you kind of think that that would be a really good tour to get. And then bugger me if it doesn't doesn't happen. You know, these things so rarely do. Yeah, it, no, exactly. Um, it it's just it was a really good bill. Have you carried on being a wild arts fan kind of through? I mean, what did you think of? Did you hear the album that came out last year? Was it 21st Century Love Songs? One, I think yeah. it was called. Yeah, I still need to get hold of that one, but I it's, I did get the, the Renaissance Men. Yeah, which um, yeah. was the album they were, they were touring at the time. Hmm. That's just it's fantastic. You know, it's, it's, hmm. it's rock and roll. It's it's heavy, but you know, right running through it is it's tunes, it's melodies. Yeah. Yeah, melodies, melodies for days. I mean, I think I think the last album, um, the one that came out last year, that was their first um, top ten album since I think 1995. And yeah. knowing that you know Wild Hearts fans are obviously of a certain older vintage, it, it's nice yeah. to know that you know th- that top ten album placing would have been probably 95 percent on physical sales as well, which is which is nice. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. for me, I thought, I, was, I thought it was a pretty cool thing. I, I did read something online today that um, the, the tour they had booked in for later on this year has been like postponed. I think there are kind of like issues bubbling up again in the band or, you know, no one kind of knows mm-hmm. and, until like, anything's said. But yeah, I, you know, I hope, I, you know, I do hope that they manage to sort, sort things out because the world is a better place um, in terms of the wild arts. And in terms of what you were saying earlier about the whole wizard of Oz thing, you know, that, the, like the first time I heard the Wild Hearts, everything kind of got technical. The first time I heard like Earth Versus and when I heard songs like I Want to Go With The People Go and stuff like this, it was just, yeah. it had such a huge, huge influence uh, on me yeah. uh, in terms of like, in my formative years of like being in bands and learning to play guitar and, you know, things like this, you know, how a chorus fits in and it's okay to put to put like 10 riffs in a breakdown and stuff yeah. like this, you know, it's fine, you know. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, is it is it is this your like favorite era, like favorite period of the Wild Hearts? You know that kind of what was this about ninety five, ninety six? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I think that's that's yeah. when they're in their real, real kind of yeah. pomp, and it's yeah, and, yeah. Bands are always more exciting when it's kind of first time around. I think you know, not not to say there's anything wrong with and revisiting. Um, no, you know, and you know, coming up with new material. You know, always encourage bands to do that but mm. it certainly feels like to me that that was the wild hearts real kind of you know that was where they had their strongest identity yeah um, definitely that's when they, they're real kind of classic songs and there's yeah. so many of them so many. i know it was it was uh, you know the when the b-sides were just it was just shitting out b-sides that were yeah, yeah. absolutely incredible. And the quality was so high it was just they were like one of those bands at the time where um you would always buy the new single because it would have three incredible songs, you know, yeah, on the yeah, CD yeah. single and they'd all be brilliant. And, you know, um, and I like I what mean, he I, does I now. Not, to, sorry, no, please. I was just saying, I was talking to Ginger on the first night of the tour, you know, just saying what a huge fan of Inglourious it was. Did, yeah. Any chance you think might be playing that at any of the shows is, Oh no, we don't even know it. We can't play it. It's too, yeah. it's too much. But then we turned up to the gig in, I think it was, uh, Wolverhampton, and they were sound checking with it. I was like, yes, no way! Oh, amazing! Had, had my fingers crossed they were going to ask me up to guest on it because I, yeah. I told Ginger that I was teaching guitar for a while, 
and uh, yeah. I made quite a lot of money out of teaching in glory. <laughs> so I think he was <laughs> too impressed with that. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so you're, are you a, you're a guitar teacher? Because you, um, you, you are. Is, are you still a teacher at, like, at, at school? Yeah, I'm a primary school yeah. teacher these days. Oh, right, nice, nice. Uh, do you, yeah. do the kids know your past? You know, do they know? You know, you used to be in <laughs> bands or things like this, or you know? Yeah, they, well, kind kind of. I don't I don't yeah. think they know. Well, they certainly don't know the full story. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they know that music's, music's my background, and yeah. and it's also you know, a huge huge part of my uh, my present and you know what I do at schools and what I kind yeah. of you know, bring to the table. There, it's it's very kind of music music oriented. Oh, and it's, wonderful. You know, it's great to be able to, to pass that on and you know to give give children the experiences that that uh, that we've had in the past few years. Insane. Mm-hmm. I had a choir recently, uh, well, going back a couple of years actually, and um, they got invited to perform on stage at Wembley. Oh my god! It was just ridiculous because we we were auditioning for Britain's Got Talent, yeah. and uh, sort of trying to cut a long story short, but yeah, we we had our our own song that the children had written and it was a song about um a child's take on divorce and the chorus right. of it was um, everybody needs hope um, everybody needs a happy home and wow. you know, I, I kind of orchestrated it and you know put together a few harmony parts and you know it, it was really good and they, they were such yeah. a good choir like, a really good bunch of kids and we got overheard performing it at, uh, at britain's got talent auditions and it's by a company called voice in a million and they put on you know, great big arena gigs for children, you know, all about uh, raising awareness of kids in foster homes and, and adopted children. So they heard this chorus, you know, everyone needs hope, everyone needs a happy home. So, oh, my God, we've, we've got to have them. That's so um, the head teacher was asking, like, so what, what was what was that all about? So well, I think we're going to be performing at Wembley. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. But it just sounds so ridiculous. Like, it, it won't happen. But yeah, that I'm sure that was the gist of it. They want us to go and perform that at, at Wembley, and and it was. So you know, we went and did it as like forty old kids in the choir, and they performed in front of ten thousand people at uh, at Wembley Arena. That's Absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the buzz that they got from that, yeah, you know, because there were some children that they couldn't even get on stage during the sound check because it was just so yeah. daunting it's such a big yeah. stage so to see kids go from that to going and smashing it in, in front of the whole whole audience just yeah, oh, yeah. It's amazing i bet oh my get god that's unbelievable yeah i bet god that's unbelievable oh mate uh right track track number three richard what track three be? right sticking with the brits at the moment <laughs> I've got uh, track one off the China drum album called Goose Fair. Oh my goodness and, me! Uh, oh my goodness me! <laughs> everyone's a winner. Yeah. Oh, they and certainly are. They certainly are in this little club. I know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, China drum. They they hold such an important part in my my musical development. I suppose really. So they were one of the first bands that we we saw in Midget, mm. yeah. um, and we saw them at the Cambridge Junction. So this would have been about 94, probably 95 actually. And they were supporting Green Day on their first UK tour. Yeah, yeah. So wow. Yeah. Green Day was the name that ev- everybody knew. Everyone wanted yeah. to go and see Welcome to Paradise. And I think it was just as they released Basket Case. Yeah. And uh, yeah, China Drum were on the bill. It's just one of those like, oh my God. 
because you know we we were only you know 16 17 mm. perhaps and you know the internet wasn't that much of a thing you know there certainly wasn't myspace or spotify or, or anything like that so seeing new bands you know you'd not really heard of them before there, there wasn't anywhere to really check them out so going to live gigs and seeing new bands was the only really only real way of getting exposed to anything new and yeah china Club, they were just insanely good absolutely ridiculous they're just just a three-piece at the time yeah. and there's you know adam on on the drums you know front front man behind the the skins unbelievable and they, they were superb and we you know met them afterwards having a bit of a chat and you know just blown away by what awesome blokes they were you know really genuine really down to earth like couldn't have had more time for us and we've kind of um not sort of followed in their trail but china drum just seemed to have been there at every point in in midget's journey <laughs> um, yeah we, we were down for a support with them at i think it was the garage or something that didn't quite quite happen that time but we ended up supporting them on tour a few years later when we were releasing i think it was our third album um, obviously yeah, got on really well and then the last midget gig that we actually did was mm. with china drum you know they they were coming yeah. through stanford yeah. and they said you know two lads fancy uh, coming and supporting and we'd been trying to get together and, and organize some kind of reunion slash farewell gig for about two years before so actually having that day right can we do that yes we yeah. can right let's do it that's that's going to be the one mm. i i desperately tried to get tickets for that china drum gig at, at mama liz's um because oh, yeah. I, I i was um I, I saw them in cambridge the previous night they played at uh, the portland arms and oh, yeah. um uh, and I think it was about a week or so before that, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Steve from uh, Vanilla Pods, he oh, said, yeah. "Oh, are, are you going to are you going to see Chandra Drum in Stanford?" I was like, "I was like, nah." I tried to get tickets sold out, and they were like, "Oh, mate." He, he looks at me like really sad. He's like, "Mate," I was like, "What?" He was like, "Midget supporting." I'm like, "You're fucking kidding me!" <laughs> <laughs> I desperately, 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 yeah, try this. It it did yeah it didn't it didn't happen but I I, I went to um I think it was about because that that tour they did was like towards the end of the year like earlier on that year so that would have been about 2013 I think they they yeah, did they announced they announced that one off reunion gig um, which ended yeah. up being at the garage because I think initially it was at 93, 93 feet east that sold out and then it went to the garage and it sold out again I I, yeah. I, I bought a ticket and uh, I went down with a good friend of mine and. Um, because China Drum were one of those other, but you, you know when you sat around a table in a pub with your mates and stuff, and you all start talking about, you know, what bands do you want to reform? If you know, if you could get any bands to reform, who would it be? And my my stock answer was always Silver Sun and China Drum. Oh, nice. They were the two. And um, yeah. as it turned out, many many years later, they both did reform, so it was it was wonderful. But you know, and people always used to like snigger at me, going, "Oh, here we go, Gaz is going to pick his '90s Brit bands again." And but yeah. to, to to be in that room for that China drum reunion gig, I've never known so much love in one room, yeah. and the place just and the, they opened with "Can't Stop These Things," and the place went fucking okay. insane. It was yeah, yeah it was w- one of the greatest gigs I've ever been to. Excellent, yeah. oh, just such a great band. And when yeah. when they were doing um, this game. I, I, I'll never know how to pronounce that. Diskin, disc, diskin, diskin. Uh, yeah, yeah, diskin. diskin yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was when they were toying with the idea of just being called the drum rather the than the drum, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and that's the same time as as midget did individual and consistent yes which yeah. was our, certainly our most experimental album mm, you know mm, trying to drum mm. messing around with lots of loops and and we had yeah. the same producer a guy mm. called phil vinyls working on both records and he mm. I think he, he had a new piece of technology that he was um <laughs> messing around with so it's, it's all over china drums record it's all over ours as well and it's yeah it was nice to kind of both be having that experience at the same time and you know just trying yeah. to break free of the the pop punk shackles if you like and just you know, yeah doing something a little bit different mm. and it's um yeah it might not have been what people wanted from from china drum it certainly wasn't from from midget at the time <laughs> it's, i don't it's I, 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 I liked I, I liked individual inconsistent i thought it was really good i thought it was a really good album oh thanks yeah no, since you got in touch, I've, I've been listening to a bit of um, midget stuff, just kind of you know get my head back in the game. Yeah. And yeah, I will go to individual and consistent, and also the the Milgram experiment. Yeah, it's certainly not the best best known midget stuff, and probably not what midget were really known for doing. But mm. it's the those are the albums that I I find it has the most interesting sounds on it. Like you know sonically, songwriting, there were some very different ideas going on. Um, I always remember we had one called Nort Nort 48. Yeah, um, yeah. Which was because it was 48 seconds long. That was it. <laughs> just we had a verse, we had a chorus, we had a riff. And thought, well, you know, why bother just trying to convert it into into a three minute pop punk song, which you know, we could very easily have done. Yeah. But we thought, well, in and out, you know, there's your verse, there's your chorus, there's your riff, done. You know, yeah. Why does it need repeating? Yeah, so uh, no uh, no surprises. I didn't sell very much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I bought a copy. Um, I think I bought it all the time. Yeah, I think that's right. That's right. It, was, it was me. It was me. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I was I was one of the two people that bought the artwork single as well. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> That's Wonderful. Didn't that was... make it into an album, did it? Artwork. By no, GBs. I was always yeah, I was always a bit gutted about because um I think I bought. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I bought I bought the CD single. I, I brought the the 12 inch as well because it had uh, had the cover of uh, the Minder theme on it on the B side. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's I, wonderful. I still don't own that. <laughs> I, oh, that I, I, I can sell you my copy, mate. I mean, it's printed on, is it? <laughs> to me, it is. <laughs> if you don't mind can we sort of carry on down that midget road for a little bit can you know we sort yeah, of course. Like midget chat and stuff i mean i i noticed there, there was a wonderful tweet that was put out it must have been around about a month ago when it was um 25 years ago that day that carly and jason yeah. was released and uh i think you let you let me know that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I'm, I'm only passing on the message that i think i think there's there's a really good twitter account called like Britpop memories or something like that and, oh, um, right. they post, it had like the like the full tour poster and the um yeah and I, I was like right this is the time to get in touch with richard now this is the perfect yeah, time to do definitely. this i mean i mean what are your what are your memories from like early 97 and that single coming out and you know like the john peel session and stuff like this yeah, yeah. you know, what, what, you know what, well it, it was it was a strange time because we you know we were really young i mean we, we didn't mm. want to be painted as being um being young because we we saw that as you know, quite disparaging and, and you know reason mm. not to take us seriously and, and we were serious mm. and it always seemed to be um you know suffixed with you know they're good for their age 
and it, mm-hmm. it kind of felt, you know, we're, we're either good or we're not. You know, ne- never mind how old we are. You know, just yeah. we wanted to be taken taken seriously. And I think we kind of suffered a little bit from, you know, being bracketed with being you know, such such a young band. Mm. And I think we we should have just um, just ridden with it. You know, people will always paint you as as what they want to paint you as. And, you know, you, you can't yeah. control that. So all you can control is is what you do. And and looking back, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of, of what we did. You know, we were just three lads from Stamford. We were friends yeah. from school and you know, we, we wrote the music that we enjoyed. And you know, pretty much I'm I'm very proud to listen back to any of it these days. And I, I think it's I think it's aged pretty well. I think it yeah, stands definitely. up still. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to, to play it to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was listening to, um, I was th- you know, one of the first albums I usually put on when it when it starts getting to like summertime, I'll I'll always put um, Jukebox on because I, I still think it's a wonderful kind of collection of songs. I rinsed it oh, to death when it came out in '98. You know, I, I still love Ben Wants to Be a Secret Agent. I I still adore Optimism. Yeah. That was always a highlight of when I used to go and see you live. And my God, I saw you live a lot, man. Oh. <laughs> um, it's I know it's a bit of a well-worn cliche, but you were kind of big in japan i mean what what was it like like going over to you know to japan and playing like fiji rock and stuff like this and yeah well it's fantastic you know because we we'd obviously spent the majority of our time in in the uk you know touring 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 and you know doing okay you know we're getting some decent support slots and you know the fan base was growing yeah but then completely unbeknown to us we we were successful in japan you know we were selling all these records without having done anything ourselves to support it. Yeah. It was all the work of, um, you know, Warner's Japan. Yeah. So the fi- first time that we went out there, we, we were, you know, pop stars in, in Japan. It was, it was insane. <laughs> you, know, t- you know, there'd be, you know, girls camping outside the, the hotel. We, we were getting Blimey. people stalking us at restaurants and like presents all the time. You know, just going to a radio station just for a little interview. And, yeah. you know, Japanese fans, you know, they, they really knew their stuff. They, they knew their, they knew our itinerary better than than I did. <laughs> and so they always knew where we were going to be. Um, but it, it was it was never kind of intimidating. It was never kind of stalkery or or weird. It, the mm. you know Japanese fans were always really respectful, and yeah, they they gave you your distance, mm. um, and they gave you your presence as well. So, <laughs> yeah. It was great. I mean, experiencing Japan in that yeah. way it was yeah. just. Yeah, phenomenal and I'd, I'd love to go back and, and do it all again um but yeah I'd, I'd love to go back to japan full stop i thought it was mm. an awesome country and i might mm. like to spend a bit more time there but yeah, yeah when we were it was always on a very tight schedule and that there were um you know itineraries to to complete you know it's just wall-to-wall interviews so i don't really feel that we saw enough of the the real japan but you know do fuji rock was was one of the it's probably our our crowning glory really that that was our mm. one of our finest moments you know, going out there and we we opened it up which we were we were told was you know the real kind of uh what do you call it um prestigious slot you know obviously headlining yeah. is you know, for the yeah. huge ridiculously big bands mm. um, but opening up was was a real privilege um yeah so going out there after i think we probably had accumulatively about two hours sleep each yeah. And going on, getting on stage in front of, I think it's thirty, thirty-five thousand. Oh, it's just crazy, crazy times. 
There's, I think there's, there's a wonderful grainy uh, kind of camcorder video of of you playing Fuji Rock on uh, on the on, yeah. on the YouTube doing. Yeah, um, it I think it's like the, 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 you like open like the smoke on the water riff or something like that. I think the place yeah. just goes absolutely fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. But one of the overriding memories of that gig was when we were doing uh, Welcome Home Jellybean, mm. and Andy managed to pull the cable out of his uh, his, his bass. <laughs> so, and it was right at the point where it goes to my guitar solo so it was a yeah. three piece yeah the kind of yeah the, the, the middle kind of disappears anyway so you've got that yeah. guitar solo going on but then there's no bass whatsoever so andy for reasons best known to him decided to sing the bass line in falsetto genius <laughs> not so far in this moment yeah <laughs> brilliant oh i mean uh, do you, do you have kind of you know fond memories? Because like for me personally, that kind of mid to late nineties like British rock scene, Brit rock, if you will, yeah. um, it was it was incredible. Like every week there was like a new band coming out, but you know, Symposium, Midget, China Drum, um, God yeah. Reef, you know, Ash. It was it was it was it was it was just a mad it was just a mad time, and all these bands were, were kind of getting like like Kerrang was really pushing the British bands at the time. Uh, you know, yeah. they, I think, you know, they gave you guys quite a lot of kind of commentations, which I always thought was, was, was really, really cool. Um, very, very yeah, no, definitely. Um, or, you know, bands like television were getting in the charts and on top of the pops and tier five Friday and stuff like this. And yeah, yeah. it was, yeah, it was, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time to, to see all these bands you could you know that all the, you all all those bands used to play cambridge and i used to go and see them all kind of week in week out but be you know, the boat race or like you know the junction yeah. or the corn exchange it was yeah. it was yeah it was it was just a wonderful wonderful time to to be like 18 <laughs> it was and it was exciting because it, it felt like rock bands were really being encouraged mm. to, you know, no, to not be afraid to be to be pop yeah. And write big choruses and, and, exactly. and write things that are memorable, you know, stick in the head. Mm. So it was almost, um, I don't know, I I always felt like a big midget influence was uh, that Boo Radley single, you know, Wake Up. Mm. Like, so yeah, I, I know that. Andy was a big, big fan of it. And, you know, we always felt that was kind of, that was the pinnacle. You know, you, you can be that pop. And, then, you know, there's, no, there's nothing to be ashamed about in, no, in being a top band. It was good that obviously a lot of bands felt uh, felt the same way. You know, it, it was that kind of time where like rock, rock bands w- were becoming pop stars. Yeah, I guess you know, and it was it and it was it was it was wonderful, and it was all like being excuse me like the kind of perfect age for it. Just like kind of going out, going to pubs, going to clubs, going to my first reading. I saw you yeah. on my first Reading Festival. You were on the Dr. Martin stage. Oh, and I yeah. remember you, when you, you kicked in with, with Jelly Bean and then the Jelly Belly guy come out and started throwing out bags of jelly beans into the crowd. Yeah. I'll never forget that. <laughs> that was Andy's brother in, in that Jelly Belly suit. Was it? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, we ended up getting um, sponsored by, by Jelly Belly. So, I mean, this, you know, the song was nothing to do with Jelly Beans. It, it, was, no. it was the title of a book. Um, mm. about growing up with with an autistic child mm. um but yeah like the, the press are yeah they just they, they latch on to anything that's got even yeah. the vaguest semblances of a hook and obviously you know the yeah. jelly bean thing went, went huge and 
yeah. they were you know saying yeah but how how are this band going to be able to play that in in their 50s like well we will if you'll let us and instead of <laughs> telling everyone what it's apparently about when it isn't <laughs> oh incredible were you like somebody went to festivals anyway you know did you were you like a reading veteran or you know was glastonbury more your thing or did you just go to the riverside festival in stanford <laughs> <laughs> no I've, I've never never went to glastonbury it, it always yeah. felt a bit um bit big bits yeah so i don't know never felt like the one for me but reading i, I always went to 1994 up until about 99 i think I went every mm. year um it's, it's not that many really felt like it at the time like 94 yeah, yeah, yeah and then played it in seven. Oh, it was awesome like i used to love going to festivals it's the highlight of my summer yeah i think the 94 one i, I think i remember seeing radiohead there and then mm. you know they're they're a big favorite of mine especially with that early stuff you know pablo yeah. honey i, I think it's yeah. a brilliant album it's amazing. And I, I go to that rather than you know the bends or okay computer i'm not really interested beyond that but the, you know, it's the guitar stuff that they were doing. You know, things like um, Vegetable and Ripcord. Yeah, fantastic man. Like they've got I real lo- energy. What's the, what's the last track on Pablo, honey? I always love that. Blowout, is it? Yeah, Blowout. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just the way that you know, the guitars just build and build layer after mm-hmm. layer. Yeah, just and it goes to that insane crescendo, and it's just it's just that yeah, wall yeah. of just like end of the world kind of noise. Yeah, it's yeah, unbelievable. Parting shot. I think that's where we got that from. I can see that. Giving, giving away all our secrets now. You are, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Like nobody well, listen to Pablo Honey ever again, please. Listen yeah. <laughs> listen, yeah. Would, would you know what people could if your stuff was on spotify why isn't it on spotify rich ah can't really say it at the moment but hopefully it should uh, it should be on there before too long track number four richard where we going okay right i've gone for um making plans for nigel which is xtc and it's mm. the first track off drums and wires nice now xtc are you know, without question, one of my favourite ever, ever bands. Mm. I put, you know, Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding, I put them on a par with Lennon and McCartney. I think they are, they are so intelligent, such creative writers. And I'd class them as a pop band, you know, above mm. all else. Yeah, and that, yeah. it, it's so intelligent. It's just so clever. You know, their, their structures, their chord sequences, lyrically, they are just ridiculous. They, it, they're so they're so talented and they're kind of almost two bands really xtc because there's there's the early incarnation of them mm. which was you know bands as, as you and i would know it it's all about touring releasing records um but then andy the singer started to um suffer quite badly with panic attacks and stage yeah. fright mm. and i don't think they played live beyond 81 82 i think it was the english settlement tour and they he just had a complete meltdown. I think, in his words, he said, "You know, he he wasn't enjoying touring, so his his brain said, i 'I'm going to make gigging as unpleasant for you as possible.' <laughs> so they just, they made the decision. You know, they're not going to be a touring band. So every everything from that point onwards became a lot more studio centric, and they um they didn't have to write anything with the under the guise of like, well, how how are we going to do that live? Yeah. Which I know can be a bit of a, a constraint. So. Mm. I think from the time they decided not to play live, their their albums just became so much more inventive um, because there was just no no limit to what what they're able to do. 
Um, but anyway, back to making plans for Nigel. I think that kind of that just sums up to me kind of the first time that I heard XTC with really open ears. Because our, our manager at the time, he wanted us to do a cover because he, he thought XTC would be a really good band for us to kind of emulate. Mm. Um, and he wanted us to cover This Is Pop. And I remember hearing an old kind of cassette version of it thinking, uh, didn't didn't really do it for me but i wasn't really listening to it and it was only when we had um a, a sound engineer on tour with us and he, he put on uh, fossil fuels which was all of the xdc singles and then it was that song that just came came through it's like who's this he's like it was xtc really wow did not know that that was that was the band that they they were going to become you know that mm. that kind of you know it's tuneful but there are just so many hooks like even down to yeah. the rhythm you know yeah. like, you want to do air drums to it even yeah yeah totally just a phenomenal band like just such talented writers and I, i'm not sure how many albums they've um they've done but i've, I've got every single one and yeah, mm. everyone's a classic in its in its own right absolutely love them well this was i think this was the first xtc xtc song i ever heard like back in the day i think for christmas one year i got bought like the greatest punk album in the world ever when i was like double compilations in the 90s you know and um i think this was like track four or five on it and like it opened with uh, i don't know pretty vacant or something straight into like i don't know white riot or something like that and then it was all kind of like you know four you know like like loud four on the floor stuff for the first few tracks then and then this came in like, you know it was yeah, like it's yeah. kind of electro kind of disco beat and then yeah that, and, and then when, when that riff kicks in that bow bow out bow yeah, out yeah. it's oh it, it, even the little riff the just the, this simple little riff is a hook it's an absolute hook. And then just that, we're only making plans for Nigel. And I, and yeah, I, immediately, yeah. I, I was just in. I was just like, I'd never heard this song. And I was like, what is this? This is this is incredible. And it's unusual, isn't it? You know, Completely I mean, unusual. I wouldn't class XTC as a punk band. Whatsoever. No, no, not, not, so, not at all. I think, to, to be fair, half of the bands that are on this compilation, I wouldn't have class as punk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and even like I think it's kind of like, in, like later on in the song with the um um like the backing vocals that oh and all that you know it's it oh it's, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. kind of like it, it's perfect but it's really kind of menacing and uneasy and dark but it's got this but it's it's a pure pop song yeah, at the end absolutely. of the day do you know what I mean you know it, it it wouldn't sound out of place on like top of the pops next to I don't know. What was that at the time the fucking Nolans or something like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, it, and I mean, you know, they, they were kind of you know a bona fide kind of pop band, really. I mean, they had a lot of lot of big hits yeah. and you know, incredibly, incredibly influential on so many bands. Um, yeah. And so many bands have covered this song. Um, I think even Pitch Shifter did quite a good cover of uh, Making really? Plans for Night. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know, right? I'm um, very interested to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was very kind of sort of faithful. You know, the only kind of difference is you got J.S. Clayton and kind of sneering over the top doing the yeah. vocals. You know, um, but yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah. It's um, it's but a YouTube search away, Matt. I can hardly recommend it. Um, I don't know. The midget did a cover of um, Senses Working Overtime on the B yes. side. 
yeah 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 wasn't very good anything. We, we tried to be very faithful to the original and my mm. my vocals weren't up to it i've, I've got to confess but i think yeah, uh, Andy did a sterling job on the production he had he got the, uh, he got the instrumentation pretty good mm-hmm. was that one of the ones you um uh i, I wanted to talk to you a bit uh, sort of quickly like in regards to like, where you recorded some of your stuff because um like like if i rewind the clock i don't know 20 odd years um like the band i was in at the time yeah. we um the guitarist has sorted out like a recording session in a in a little studio and um it was it was jigsaw studios and i i flipped out yeah. when i I found out we were going to be calling it jigsaw because i know that's where a load of the midget stuff was done you know and i was just like oh my god yeah. you know and like and then sort of getting to know tom and then you know going to see sup and like getting into like the peterborough punk scene at the time and then getting to know like sean phillips and stuff like this yeah. and yeah it's, it's you know it was kind of mad but like, I mean, w- w- was your co- i mean how much how much kind of stuff did you record at jigsaw was it quite a bit was it just like demos or like b-sides or a bit of everything really i mean yeah. we, we started off there andy was actually working there as the as the sound engineer mm. um so he was able to negotiate a little bit of free time for us and that was where we recorded kind of a couple of the early demos um but then after that yeah we we did a few b-sides there um i can't remember when we, when we stopped going really because it, it kind of you know, we, we were able to do things so much more cheaply um yeah. you know it's really the, what do you call it the um pro tools revolution all of a sudden all you yeah. need is, is a computer. you suddenly don't need the studio anymore for, for demos no um, yeah you know, early days we spent a lot of time in jigsaw mm. There's always been, they're always well looked after, and uh, in fact, I went back there not not so long ago. The um, oh really? <laughs> yeah, the the album that I was telling you about that the, um, the my kids at school recorded that original yeah. song. Yeah. That was part of an album that we did in in year five. So every single kid in year five was part of a band. So there being you know, sort of five or six kids per band, and their project over two terms was to write and record their own original song. So we we had them, yeah, because I was only in deeping at the time at the yeah. uh, the school that I was I was working at. So we we're just yeah. you know minibusing kids to and from the the studio to go and lay down their vocals on their own track. Amazing. And, uh, of course, Tom was there doing that then, so it was, it was great to catch up. I know, I bet, I bet. Is there, is there still that little pub down the end of the road in Frognall? I remember we used to walk down to the pub like during like, uh, like lunchtime and stuff. The Rose and Crown. That's the one. That's the one. I think, oh, it's, yeah. I think it's still there. I got barred from the race. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I wow. up in their toilets and I wasn't, they asked me not to return. Oh, stay classy. <laughs> oh, yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, young Richard, if only you could learn to hold your lager. So uh, without further ado, mate, what's the final song you want to talk about? Let's bring it home. Okay, final one is the first track off Ben Folds 5's. Is that, how is that? Ben Folds 5's Fine. debut album. So, which is that one, just eponymous. Ah, yes. Yes, eponymous. So the track is called Jackson Cannery. Mm. And Ben Falls 5, they were a you know, big influence on Midget. Without us actually, I don't think, sounding like Ben Falls 5. Just their sheer delight in music. You know, the, mm. the, the harmony parts and the, the skill that they had each, each of those players is just ridiculous like, you know the drummer the bass player the yeah. pianist like they are yeah. insanely good musicians yeah and and what you've got to remember is that i i was coming at it from from the point of view where it was all very kind of nirvana 
and punk mm. and you know it wasn't the done thing to be good on your instrument <laughs> and i think um you know, Ben's, ben Folds 5 kind of redressed that for me. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I, I do want to be a player. Mm. And um, Lee actually knew about them before I did. And he'd, he'd heard them on the radio. Um, I think we saw them at Reading 95, I think it would have been. And he told me about this this band. I heard them on the radio, only a little bit of it. But it sounded really good. Let's, let's go and check them out. And they were in one of the, I think, the, the second stage or maybe even mm. the, the tent. I'm not sure now. And we just caught, like, the last... 15 minutes of their set and we just stood there with our mouths open just insane like so so good and huge huge fans ever since then mm. and we saw them you know several times and the first first time i, I saw them at a, a proper gig it was you know their own gig i think it was it was either the astoria or maybe the kentish town forum some somewhere like that yeah and they opened up with uh missing the war which is Mm. You know, a slow song and it, it starts off you know, all these vocal harmonies coming in you know, three-part harmonies like absolutely impeccable and we just you know you have to just stand and bask in it because it is that good and to open with a song that none of your audience yet know <laughs> and for them to yeah. just be completely on board with it i mean that they are just that that kind of band they so are, good yeah, yeah. And there was a really nice moment, actually. I think it was that gig. Um, we were staying in a hotel in London, uh, me and Lee, and we we're drinking in the bar afterwards. And who walks in? Ben Folds Five. Like, oh, my, oh my God. God. Oh, my God. So um, so we nipped over and said, we've just, just been to watch you at the uh, at, at the gig. You know, awesome. And uh, Lee, being an absolute fanboy, said, could I... Can I ask a massive favour? Like, I've got your CD up in my, my room. Would, would you mind signing it if I went and got it? So they went upstairs and got it, asked them to sign it, and then I kid you not, Ben Foles himself pulled out the camouflage single from his bag. Would you mind signing that? No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Less amazing if I tell you that Lee gave him that single about five minutes earlier, but it's still, oh, still right. massive. Oh, don't ruin, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. <laughs> you can edit that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 wasn't, I didn't buy this album. I remember Underground being on the radio a lot at the time, which was, I think, the yeah. kind of single off this album. But the next yeah. album, Whatever We're Never Amen, that's the one yeah. where I, I went fully in. Um I love the opening. When you said Ben Falls Five, I was secretly hoping you were going to be picking. Um, was it uh, a thousand angry dwarfs? A thousand angry dwarfs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's going to be what. That's going to be one of my track one side ones. When I when someone eventually goes, hey Gaz, I'll interview you on your podcast. That's going to be one of my because yeah. I, I adore that. You know, brick breaks my heart. Um, yeah, yeah. The Battle of Who Could Care Less is is just, just perfect. I love the fact that like this that that album whatever and ever and amen was like it was produced by um, was it Andy Wallace, which yeah. is why it sounds so fucking heavy because like he done Slayer yeah. and stuff like this you know yeah, like, yeah. the production on it is so heavy. Um, he did a lot of new metal stuff as well, didn't he, Andy Wallace? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, he was kind of a go-to guy. Down, I think. I think yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 Spine Shank, <laughs> Fear Factory. <laughs> I think a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? It's just their sugar, <laughs> sugar club flashbacks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but we well, yeah. ended up supporting Ben Five, you know. Oh my goodness, mate! That would have been incredible. Yeah. What? 
there was talk of us doing a, a Japanese tour together, which which would have been great, but it didn't quite work out. And they they were touring just before we were. So um, everywhere we went, you know, they'd been there like the night or two nights before. So they're leaving us little messages on dressing room walls and stuff like that. It's, it's great. Oh, that's really sweet. Oh, they say oh, never mate. meet your heroes, but you know, Ben Falls Five, they were, they were the nicest blows. Rich, thank you so much, my friends. This has been an that's absolute been joy for me. Enjoy, I have to take part. And there we go. Thanks so much, Richard, for uh, making this old school midget fan a very happy, happy middle-aged man. <laughs> Fans are still there, mate. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I need to say. Just put that out there. The fans are still there, Richard. Get Andy in. Get Lee in. Let's do a gig, man. Let's do it. Do it. And uh, yeah, cheers to some uh, ace stories and some incredible song choices. And it's always always a pleasure to uh, to chat about China Drum. One of the greatest bands of all time. I'll have you know. Uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it all out there. And uh, yeah, cheers, guys. And please like, subscribe, share, all the good shit. Let people know what goes down in this fruity little club. So uh, yeah, take care of each other. Be good, be safe, and as ever, fuck the toys. I'm out of here. Peace. Top five side ones. Side ones. Track one. You've been listening to the Track One Side One podcast with me, your host. Gaz Jones. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter by searching for Track One Side One Podcast to keep fully up to date with all future guests. And there will also be Spotify playlists linked to each episode. So please check all that out and I'll see you soon. <laughs>